welcome back to Lifehouse Church's weekly sermon podcast. I am here in the studio today with Carolyn Thomas, who's just told the world that she really hates vanilla ice cream. No, I did not. I said, personally, I love vanilla, but I, I just don't like vanilla Christians. And now, what is a vanilla Christian to you? Well, you know, if, you, if you're going to have something um, without flavour, you know, um, so if you want a milkshake and you just don't feel like chocolate or caramel and you want the, the no flavours. The more crazy flavours. Yeah, it's um, usually just vanilla. So, uh, although personally, I love a vanilla milkshake, but just what I meant by that when I talk about vanilla Christians is people that are just trying so hard not to be offensive. Yeah, and I see what you're saying. So, like, a, you know, a plain bag of chips instead of the exciting, crazy salt and vinegar that might get left on the table. Yeah. No one likes them. And it's just, it's the principle behind it, though, where you just, it's just, I suppose it has been a bit derogatory, but it's just um, a, a funny way or, a, you know, of saying, maybe a non-offensive way, <laughs> I don't know, I'm trying not to, but, you know, of saying that you need to not um, be worried about offending people no, because the right. gospel is offensive. That's exactly right. And that was kind of the, the whole point of your sermon day, that's which right. I love the title, which was, let me get this right, No Cross, No Crown. What, what does that title mean to you? Well, you know, um, the word tells us that that we will share, you know, if we want to share in Jesus' glory, we've got to share in his suffering. And so if we want to have crowns when we get to heaven and have reward, then we will suffer here. And so if we're not prepared to go through that here, don't expect anything there. No, and not that we don't go into, I hope, most people with the expectation. I go in with, you know, if I just hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant, that's enough. The crown is just a bonus. Yeah. But certainly don't expect reward if you're not prepared to shoulder it. And yeah. That, that's such a hard, and I, I loved how you talked about the emotional cost of having to deal with these problems and suffering. Yep. Uh, it's just, I mean, I loved your sermon, but I'm, I'm trying to think about my life and then trying to put all these in things into place. I suppose it just takes a lot of practice, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it does. It comes with experience. You do certainly learn it. You're not, you know, born with all this experience. And it <laughs> comes as you go through and as you face situations. And you don't always get it right. And, no. you know, sometimes you'll go around the same mountain more than once. But, you know, you should be slowly growing slowly and maturing and, and getting better. Yeah, yeah and you still make mistakes as well and blow it sometimes. But, you know, it's it's a progressive journey. And it's about how quick you get back up and try that's again. That's right, right, yeah. And Don't it's not about it. failing. Yeah, it's getting up. And, and that's growth. If you can recognise, oh, I've blown it again. The growth is not necessarily that, oh, I'm never going to blow it. It's recognising that, like you're saying, just getting up. Yeah, that, that's hard. But, I mean, that's the whole point of today. A hard message is a good message, right? You guys are going to love this. It's super tasty. It's not a vanilla message that you're getting today. It's like... What's the one with all the different pl- flavors? The bubblegum one, the really vibrant. <laughs> I don't like bubblegum. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> but no, but you know what? It's not even a hard message, and that's the problem. We, we yeah. sort of think it's not hard. It's just the full gospel. And really, in the end, if you learn about this stuff now, it makes things easier for you in the long run. Oh, for sure. But that, like, like that does come across. It can come across as hard because it's not something that you hear yeah, well, in a lot of churches yeah. nowadays. Well, that's it. I'm not here to tickle ears, hey? <laughs> As I, I said it. in the sermon, I'm not here to pet sheep or to entertain goats. No, no, that's right. And that's, you guys are getting such a tasty sermon today. You're going to get so much out of this and we're going to continue this series next week as well. Stay tuned to the Lifehouse podcast. As always, check out www.life-house.net for more Lifehouse resources. And uh, thanks for joining us in the studio, Carolyn. Thanks for the sermon. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Luke chapter 14, verse 27 to 30. 
and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So there are two clear things that I see that Jesus is telling us in that passage. One, he tells us clearly that there's a cost involved in following him. And two, he clearly needs to tell us that, uh, sorry, he clearly tells us that we need to weigh this cost up and then be prepared to pay it if we want to be his disciples. See, Jesus is not just an add-on. He's not just a feel-good accessory to our comfortable lives. It's all or nothing with him. So why do we need to know about this cost and counter, apart from the fact, of course, which is sufficient in itself that Jesus tells us to? Well, I believe it's because forewarned is forearmed, if you wise. And knowing that something's going to be difficult, knowing that it might involve, well, it will, sorry, not might, involve hardship and struggle, while it might not necessarily make it easy to go through, it still enables you to persevere and to have that determination to go through. I'm sure all of you would agree that you would rather know that something was going to be challenging or difficult so you could push through than just not even know that. And the word compares our time on earth here as a race that involves stringent, disciplined perseverance and preparation. And it tells us in the word that we've got to run this race with perseverance. And, you know, I think sometimes we forget, and I know I'm guilty of this, that our race has got challenges and obstacles along the way, and especially living in a first world country. Because, you know, we we have a lot of everything here. Um, We don't basically really have a lot of hardship, and so sometimes we forget and we are, you know, life is pretty easy. Even what we think is hard is obviously relative. Um, And so sometimes we forget that there are going to be challenges and obstacles And um, I read a quote from somebody on the internet, I don't know who she is or how to pronounce the name properly, but, um, you know, I always give reference to when I use people's materials. So Dana Chow, um, she says, on this side of the finish line are hurdles, collisions, and snares. The race is exhausting. Whether you are a student learning a trade, a worker earning a living, a spouse loving your mate, or a parent raising your child. On this side of the finish line, God has not promised us that every illness will be healed, every evil brought to justice, or every Christian wealthy, healthy, and happy. I just want to say that's what a lot of teaching that goes around, that come to Jesus and he's going to change your life, and you'll be wealthy, happy, everything will be wonderful. He certainly will change your life. You'll usually turn it inside out and upside down if you let him. But these are the rewards for believers on the other side of the finish line. And second, we must run, not slow down as we approach the finish line. Jesus approached his finish line and fulfilling more of what God had in store for him. This is what Sam was talking about with Paul. You should be getting more full of zeal the older you get. You don't ever reach retirement in the things of God. Um, And Jesus, he didn't see the cross as an excuse for giving up or mellowing out. He prayed for others. He forgave others. He cared for his mother. That was what he did on the cross when he said to one of the disciples, There's your mother, okay? So even then on the cross, he was still fulfilling ministry and he did what God expected of him. So walking as a disciple requires determination, perseverance. Our race, as I said, is more like an obstacle course. It's not just the straight single line on this beautiful grassy oval with everyone around just cheering us on and encouraging us. Not like at school where everybody gets a ribbon for just taking part. 
Sorry, but that, I have a personal problem with that. Um, you know, when we were in England, Callan took part, at, for a time we were at the same school and he took part in the speed walking race and he was, you know, coming first, the whole school was watching and he was coming first and really powering out there and so some of the kids standing around watching started to chant his name and to encourage him. And you know that they were made to stop doing that because we don't encourage competition. And I was just like floored by that. Um, I'm glad to see I'm hearing good, you know, things here. But, you know, even at school, we have parents coming to say, oh, my child hasn't had a certificate yet this year. And I'm like, well, I don't believe in giving certificates just because everybody has to have a certificate. They've got to actually, you know, earn it. We've even had parents, now this is hard to believe, but it's true. We had parents at our last sports day stealing ribbons because their child's crying because they didn't get a ribbon, and so some parents stole ribbons so they could have it. Kids crying and, you know, parents coming to you to say, well, my child didn't get a ribbon, they didn't come anywhere. And unfortunately, our society is training up a whole generation of children who have no resilience, no determination, and no personal responsibility. And, you know, sometimes we can grow weary and we, we can become disillusioned because we expect to receive God's reward this side of the finish line. But for us, the finish line is death. And so we need to continue to run our race without complaining and grumbling until we cross that finish line. We need to know that there's cost, there's sacrifice in following Jesus and being prepared to follow through and pay the price is what I believe determines whether you're just going to be an, an enabled convert or whether you're actually going to be a disciple. And sadly, some people do not count the cost or even understand that there is a cost. And, you know, sometimes that will be teaching to blame where they haven't been taught that there's a cost, they haven't had the full gospel preached, and other times people just don't want to change, sadly. So, you know, we take this responsibility very seriously, and I especially, you know, I love the Word of God, and I take it really serious that I have to teach you the whole Word of God, not just the parts that are easier to hear. And sadly, some churches are not preaching a full gospel. They watered it down to be seeker-sensitive. And really what that amounts to is actually not wanting to offend people so that they might come back to church again. So you become a vanilla Christian, basically. No fl- I like vanilla personally, but not in a Christian, okay? But non-offensive, religiously correct, saltless. And salt does sting, and it should, all right? What does Jesus say about salt? He says we are to be salt. And then he goes on to say for salt losing its saltiness, it's actually useless, good for nothing, and it gets chucked out. So salt should sting. Um, I was reading the other day, and I can't remember which preacher it was, but about a well-known preacher who said that he came to Christ when someone said something to him that offended him, and it offended him to such an extent that he actually went to look at, you know, look it up. It challenged him. It challenged his worldview, challenged his thinking, and so investigated, and that's what brought him to Christ, okay? So your life and your walk should be challenging to other people. It should be challenging them. And often offense is a first step to conviction for people. Now, when I'm talking about we should be offensive to them, I'm not meaning we deliberately go and just really try to be belligerent, Okay? But if you're holding up a standard and a godly standard, that should be clashing with the world and it should be and it will be an offense. And you've just got to be faithful to preaching and teaching the gospel and leave the results up to God. 
And now, you know, I have to say that if your walk is not offensive to someone somewhere along the line, then I think you've got a serious problem because I think then God will find it offensive. You know, he tells us about the salt. He also talks about us being lukewarm, that he will spew that out of his mouth. And sadly, the entitlement mentality that's in our society has crept into the church. It's been preaching and teaching of an easy gospel. No cost, no hardship. And some of the manifestations of, the, of that in the 80s was prosperity teaching. Name it and claim it. If you just have enough faith, and if you sow financial seed money into the kingdom and specifically into this ministry, then you can have whatever you want because basically God's just sitting up there waiting to bless you and grant you your every heart's desires. And then in the 90s, we moved into this, and this is where I think we still are today, into a feel-good. You're a hero. You're so awesome, so wonderful, and you deserve nothing about cost, nothing about duty, nothing about responsibility. That's not a balanced gospel. That type of preaching is an enablement gospel. It's not an empowerment gospel. And, you know, we like to empower you here and release you into ministry and to encourage you. So all those things are saying, you know, you're good, you're a hero, whatever. We like to encourage, but it's really important that you realize that the empowerment is not about you, okay? It's empowerment from the Holy Spirit so that it will give you strength and boldness to actually go and fulfill the command and the commission. So it's not actually about you, about making you look awesome and feel good, Yes, we would like you to have a healthy self-image. Well, not even a self-image, a God image of what God sees you. But again, always remember that the whole point of that is for his purposes. Um, you know, it's, it's not even about you stepping fully into your calling, becoming all that you're meant to be just for the sake of fulfilling your call or your ministry. It's actually about equipping you for service. So always remember that. So although, you know, we would encourage you and, I, you know, lift you up and stuff, it's still about his service. That is the whole reason behind it. It's not just for us. And, you know, the gospel's the total opposite to the entitlement message that society's preaching or society's pushing on. As society would say, it's all about you. But actually, the gospel says it's not about you at all. It's all about Jesus. Society, it's not fair. What is fair? Fair is man's concept, okay? What is fair? If you accept that you to die to yourself as the word tells you to, then you'll realize that you have no rights and you'll stop whinging and be happier for it. Uh, Matthew 10 verse 39 says, whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And you see, while our stories might be of interest to and encouraging others, they're not gonna set anyone free or change anyone. And this is another thing that, you know, I think it's great to have your personal story. It's part of it, as long as it's a testimony. And that means you're putting Jesus into it and you're actually saying what Jesus has done for you. It's not just about your story. Because it's the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified that is going to set people free from bondage. It's the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified that breaks chains and sends the demons packing. There is a cost of this life of discipleship that you will have to personally pay. There is a cost in preaching the gospel. You will offend some people. There is a cost in completely aligning your life with the word of God. And there's a cost in stepping into your calling. 
And this cost is you being prepared to voluntarily take up your particular cross, whatever God has assigned, you, has assigned to you and following Jesus. You see, he picked up his cross for us and it cost him everything. And why should we expect to do anything less? Listen to Romans 8, 16 to 18. This is encouraging. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. There are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers on earth. What a beautiful exchange that we're going to make one day. See, it's all about shifting our perspective to see the whole picture, to see the big picture, to see the benefits and the reason for enduring the cross. Cross-bearing builds resistance, especially when you need to stand alone. It makes you battle ready. It trains you in obedience and submission in spite of what you're feeling. And we need to have the same attitude that Jesus had because nothing that we are asked to undergo will be more than what he went through for us. And what was his attitude? Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This week and next week, I'm going to look at five costs that we need to be willing to pay if we are leaders. And I want you to keep the next scripture in mind as an encouragement as I look at the different costs. Tonight, I'm only going to do one, um, and I'll do four next week. John 15, verse 18 to 21. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus was pretty clear, if we love him, people will hate us. And you know, I still don't, you know, it's there in black and white, he told us that, so I don't know why sometimes I would get surprised or whine or, you know, get upset when, or get shocked when it happens. I think actually we should be more concerned if it's not happening, all right? Jesus said, if you follow me, people will hate you. If you're truly my disciple, they will hate you. So I, I just want to try and shift my mindset to like getting more shocked if it's not happening, then what's wrong with my walk? All right? But he was also pretty clear that the benefits of this outweigh the cost. Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I had to just put up this passage from the message because I love it, um, just how they phrase it. Count yourself blessed every time someone cuts you down or throws you out. 
every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and that that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Skip like a lamb if you like. For even though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applause. And know that you are in good company. My preachers and witnesses have always been treated like this. And I love Graham Cook's take on this. Graham Cook says, The Holy Spirit has taught me only to focus on the benefits, not the drawbacks of persecution. I am blessed, and that blessing must be as tangible as the ill treatment. If only my detractors realized the important contribution they made to my ministry, I'm sure they would have gasped. And I love that, okay? So instead of my default mode being to whinge and want to rail at the injustice, I need to adjust my attitude and rejo- I need to say thank you. And I just want to say out there to anyone that's listening that does hate me, thank you. Because every time you open your mouth to gossip and slander me, you are blessing me. So I keep it coming because I'm enjoying the blessing, okay? So we've got to just look at it and adjust our attitudes. Obviously, you still have to process emotion because it does hurt. But once you've processed it, really just realize that every time they open their mouth, they're bringing you a blessing. Providing, of course, you keep a right heart and, you know, a contrite heart and a right spirit before the Lord. I could write a book. I've decided I'm going to write some books. But um, there's a title of my book, Want to be Blessed Out of Your Socks? Chapter 1, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. The rewards are out of this world. And I could give anyone advice on that if they want it. But seriously, though, although you might not feel particularly blessed when it's happening to you, when they revile, persecute, have all kinds of evil to say about you, think about this. What is he going to say to you when you suffered with him? So can you endure their words now to hear his words later? For sure, right? And so I just want to encourage you um, uh, that, you know, just to remember, just to have that picture that you're going to hear those words from him one day that you, you know, well done. And I just want to say as well, for us here, we each have our own persecutions and struggles. And there's a lot of people listening to the podcast in countries where they really have persecution like we don't understand. And so to those people, I just want to encourage you to take hold of these scriptures and to remember that you bear your cross in Jesus' name. All right, so that was my introduction. So now you'll see why I'm just doing one cost tonight. So the first cost I'm going to look at is the emotional cost. And for me personally, one of the hardest costs is the emotional cost. And note I haven't said was, I said is, because this is always going to be ongoing. And the re- I remind you, the reason I'm sharing this today is because I'm sharing it for it to be a tool to help you, because you can't count the cost. And you can't determine that you're going to go through it if you don't know what it is. And I'd just like to give a little motherly advice here. Well, some of you have already faced some costs. There's some that you haven't faced, okay? And there may be some of you sitting here thinking, I won't go through that. I don't accept that it has to be like that for me. I've actually heard people say that. And let me just tell you, if you expect to rise one day into leadership and be a successful leader, then yes, you will. And this isn't Carolyn just confessing negative things over you from her bad experiences and hurts from 27 years of ministry. Jesus said you will go through this. I'm saying it as well, but Jesus said it. So John 15, 20, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Remember, we are about training soldiers, not petting sheep. All right? False accusations and lies about you. Yes, it hurts. But you know what? We're in great company. As I said, Jesus had to go through it. And so did, this is what Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 6, 8. Through glory and dishonor, I love the scripture, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters. All right, so let's look at some of the um, emotional or the accusations that come. We have accusation coming through electronic or print media. And I read an article by Perry Noble, and I couldn't have summed it up any better from my personal experience, so I'll just read you the quote. Leading in a church is one of the most draining things you will ever do. You'll discover that you can go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows with one email or phone call. And those in leadership, I can see Richard smiling, that have gone through um, things like this, you know what it feels like. And you know why? It's because the religious spirit loves emailing and letter writing. Okay, anonymously, or so they think. The only problem is, because we've usually had a build-up and we've had letters and stuff before, you actually recognize all their spelling mistakes and their grammar mistakes, and you can actually hear the tone of the person who's talking. Um, you know, at a push, they'll do a phone call, just at a push, okay? But boy, oh boy, heaven help you if you are so bold and arrogant as to request, as the Bible says, a face-to-face meeting with them. They will do everything to avoid a face-to-face meeting because that religious spirit cannot face the Holy Spirit that's in you. And the religious spirit which operates through Pharisees and Sadducees will always have what they consider a legitimate excuse for not following biblical procedure. Clearly, there is no but when it comes to biblical procedure, but they think there is. And if you remind them of Scripture and they actually accuse you of being religious... Or even make it, you're making everything spiritual. Like, hello, isn't everything, am I not a spirit with a body? Religious spirit will always accuse you of what's in their heart. And obviously, their reasons that they have for avoiding this meeting are all accusatory as well. You're too intimidating. Speaking from personal experience, okay, too intimidating. You're too aggressive. It's your way or no way at all. Well, yes, actually, if my way is standing on the word of God, then yes, you are totally right. We, um, you don't understand me, so I don't want to come because you're not going to understand me. We want an agenda. Now, I've tried explaining that the Holy Spirit doesn't really like this one. I try, but the Holy Spirit doesn't like to stick to an agenda, okay? So I cannot promise that this is only what we're going to speak on because, you know, we're spirit-filled, led of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to bring things up during the meeting and drop things in that you need to deal with. So we can't stick to an agenda. But this is probably the best one. God has told me not to come to a meeting. Well, I'm sorry because it's not God that's told you that. It's not God you're hearing at all because God will never violate his own word. And he's clearly laid down procedures for these kind of situations. But they can't confront the Holy Spirit in you. They're terrified they won't ever come face to face with what they can't control. But the accusation of control, of course, is on you. And you know, I had thought about sharing some excerpts from some of the emails and letters we've had over the years. And I took them out. I'd forgotten how bad they were. I actually felt sick reading them. And so I decided I'm not even going to give that any airtime. 
you work your way through a battle like that, as well as steady on the, you know, hands on the rudder, leading the church through, because often the church on the whole is not aware of what's going on. You might have a few people in leadership dealing with it, but, you know, it's, it's emotionally draining to work through that and to continue to just lead through as well. And, you know, we've had many, many days when you actually get a sick feeling every time an email comes in or the phone rings, you don't even want to answer it. Um, Anna and I as well, we, we got to a stage um, where, you know, we would pre-text each other to say, okay, I'm ringing you, but everything's fine because we'd, like, answer the phone like, oh, you know, what is it now? What's happened or whatever? No, everything's good. It's all right. So I can joke about it now, but each time that situation returns and we go into another battle with the spirits of religion and control, that same sick dread is going to return. And notice I didn't say if, I said when. Okay, because it's always going to be ongoing throughout your ministry. And that sick feeling, processing your emotions, is just part of that emotional cost that you have to deal with. Next week, I'm going to talk as well to you a little bit about how the levels of attack increase the higher up into leadership that you step. All right, we have attacks as well through surrogates because, you know, and just to say as well, attacks are going to come. It's no good trying to avoid them. To avoid them would only be possible if you were violating the word of God and stepping into compromise and fear of man. Because you can't lead if you're not prepared to discipline or confront people where necessary. Remember, this is about the fine print, the cost of carrying your own cross. We are called to suffer with him. And your job and your focus during these things in the time of crisis or attack is just to train and manage your emotions. You need to let them come under your spirit's leading not your spirit doing what your emotions are telling it to do. Leaders don't have the luxury of collapsing in a heap when a crisis hits. It's business as usual. You keep on fulfilling all your responsibilities in spite of how you're feeling. And you don't walk around looking like death warmed up. You suck it up and you process your feelings without lashing out. You do that privately, you can do that privately, but you don't have the luxury of getting stressed with others around you and just saying whatever you would like to say. And you learn that. As you mature, you learn that. You know, when I was younger, I would probably maybe say more that was on my mind, but you learn that you can't do that. Every action, every thought, every word has to be calculated. It takes a lot of skill in running a church, okay? And you are looking at numerous things that people won't even be aware of to see how that's going to impact that and whatever. I'm not talking about compromising, but I'm talking about wisdom and skill and discernment and how you deal with this and how you manage it. And you know what? As a leader, you expect to follow a higher standard, whether you like it or not. And it's a time to exercise even greater and more self-control than usual. And when you deal with the spirit of control in particular, it has other people to fire its shots. It's very slippery to try and get hold of it. And then it tries to throw people under the bus. And the optimum goal is to get you, the leader, to actually throw the person under the bus. And fortunately, you know, the Lord always gives us warning and we recognize the ambush for that person that's been used by the controller. And so we've learned to control our emotions and not take offense or act against that person. And we might sometimes have to bear the hurt of them taking offense against us. But we do that in order to protect them and their ministry. You'll also have attacks on your character, your, your motives and your integrity. Your heart and your motives will be called into question. Critics who don't know you and don't even want to know you, they'll malign, misrepresent and attack you. 
And David and I are going to write a book one day as well about the religious spirit. But let me just say, when you're dealing with it, you are damned if you do and damned if you don't. So the way I figure it, you might as well just do. All right? So basically, you need to get to a place where your only worry is about pleasing God. Your emotions will be all over the place. You just learn to manage those. On most days, you'll feel overwhelmed. You'll feel unworthy of your calling. You question yourself. You doubt. You get a lot of um, tremendous amount of spiritual pressure on you. And all of this requires that you be willing to pay the price emotionally. I'll speak more next week as well about that constant spiritual pressure because the aim of that is to wear you down so that you will react from your emotions because that's when you're usually going to sin then. So 2 Corinthians 6, 8 again, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters. And that's a cross that David and I have had the privilege of bearing the most over our years in ministry. We've had to endure false accusations, hostility, slander, and hatred as part of the cost of the ministries, the particular ministries we carry. And it's usually always from, it's usually from within the church, from inside the church initially, and then once they've left and gone, then all their friends can jump on the bandwagon too. But you see, one of the main functions of the apostolic and the prophetic is to bring alignment to a church, and that usually involves touching people's belief systems, lining them up with the Word of God. And it's at this point, well, actually, not even when we've touched it yet, when we're just starting to get close, um, it can just be a gentle, hey, that behavior is not in line with the word, or hey, you need to sort out your relationship with Jesus, or let's get your heart right. But it's at that point that we go from being the best pastors ever to, and I'm not joking, these are things over the years that we've been accused of, blood drinking debaucherous, I have some of this in writing if you don't believe me, adulterous, controlling, maniacal, screaming cult leaders. Have I left any out, David? Oh, yeah. Rude and arrogant as well. And you know, we've even had before in South Africa where um, we got a phone call, to, well, David took the call that, you know, you've got a young family, we're going to run you out of this town because we did to let black people come into the church, okay? So it's just, um, and I think though one of the hardest things that as a leader that you have to come to terms with emotionally is that the attacks usually come from people within the church. Don't often stay there long, but initially, okay? And when it first happens, you can become very disillusioned. And then after you've had it a couple of times, you have to watch that you don't become cynical about it, Okay? But you need to remember that just as the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees were Jesus' chief accusers and haters, the same is true today. They're very, still very much in the church. We tend to almost think it's just Old Testament. They are alive and well, well, they think they're well, but they're alive in the churches today. And remember, he faced it and so will we. That spirit of religion and control operates from within the church. So don't be surprised when this is where the attack first comes from. It will hit you emotionally. It is disappointing, okay? But you confront any of these Pharisees and Sadducees with the word of God, and you will find out how offensive you really are, okay? And as I said earlier, a key requirement of leadership is that at times you need to confront, you need to challenge people with sin issues in their lives in order to line them up with the word of God. And let me just tell you, when I'm talking about confronting with sin and challenging, we don't just go and bash someone on the head with a Bible, even when we feel like doing it, okay? I'm talking about years of guiding people 
and speaking to them nicely and trying, you know, trying to just do it in a godly manner. And I've learned that it doesn't matter how godly you do and how much love, how much prayer goes into it, some people will be offended and will turn around and accuse you of all sorts of things. It doesn't matter. You've still got to please God and do what God tells you to do. And you know what? Contrary to popular opinion amongst our enemies, David and I don't actually enjoy this aspect of leading. No leader does. But it's very necessary if you are to make disciples and not merely produce entitled converts. It does require that you pay a huge emotional cost. But remember that Jesus has undergone more than we have, so we keep our eyes fixed on him. Let's look at one of the times of emotional cost that Jesus underwent the night before he died in Luke twenty-two forty-four, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The emotional pressure was on him that night was so great that he actually said to the father, if it be possible, could you take this away from me? But not my will, your will be done. So he understands. He had emotional anguish as well. So don't ever forget that he understands. And it doesn't mean you have to enjoy it at the time. You enjoy it later when you realize you've actually been blessed. But you will have emotional anguish to deal with. Throughout Jesus' ministry on earth, he was accused of being demon-possessed. He was rejected and scorned. He was betrayed by one of his inner circle. And yet he remained obedient and fulfilled his calling. So there is cost, but it's worth it. And, you know, I've just, um, like I said, you don't have to like it, but I just had a little laugh the other day. I was walking the dog in the morning, and I was, our dog is really, you know, he's good. He walks very well. He doesn't go and bark at other dogs and sniff and go. So he was walking nicely on the lead, and I was about from here to where David is with um, another lady who had two of these little dogs that are straining. You know when they pull you and take you for a walk, straining on the lead and snarling and already jumping. I think the smaller they are, the more they do it for intimidation. There has to be a spiritual application there as well, right? With the smallness, with the Pharisees and stuff, not physically, but inside, that they try and intimidate. And so these dogs are snarling and straining. And I just thought, you know what? Cross the road before I even get to them. And, and, and I crossed the road and the lady shouted across, thank you. And then she turns to the dogs and said, see, no one likes you. <laughs> And I thought, you know, that's, that's how it is with the Pharisees. Sometimes you'll challenge them, but, you know, other times it's just like cross the road. It's not even worth dealing with it. No one likes them anyway, so, yeah. But, um, okay, so tonight I've just looked at emotional costs. I've got four others to look at next week. And I just want to leave you a scripture that I've already read to encourage you to keep your eyes not on yourself, but to keep them up. And then you'll be able to bear your particular cross no matter what it is. And we also need to remember that our particular crosses are chosen for us by God, or at the very least, they have been allowed by Him. And as we submit to Him, He will use it for our good, for our development, to train us as His disciples. You know, think of all those young movie stars who have everything, who have an easy life, who just totally go off the rails. You think of your children if you're training them up and you let them have whatever they want, whenever they want. No discipline, no thing. They don't learn any resilience, any perseverance, okay? So think of it when you are carrying your cross, that is part of your training. It's there to help you develop resilience, perseverance, and character because you need character to bear the weight of your calling and ministry. And so just be encouraged by Hebrews 12, 3 to 4. Considered him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you know what? If that's required of you and you keep your eyes on Him, you'll be able to do that as well.